0: Be helpful if people need help. Don't always be like nickeling, diming for everything. If you're on set and they're like, oh, can you stay an extra hour so we can get these extra shots? Like be there and just help out. Like that goes a long way to show that you're in it for the the career and not just the paycheck from that job.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and this is the Golden Hour Podcast, where photographers, filmmakers, and content creators come together to learn from one another. Today's guest is Greg Farnham, who is the host of the Lens Pro To Go YouTube channel, as well as a full time freelance cinematographer. Greg's story is probably very similar to a lot of yours going to film school to pursue a filmmaking career that led him to doing freelance wedding and commercial work that then turned into running and operating a full YouTube channel. This episode was actually recorded in Las Vegas, Nevada during CES 2020, and we're really grateful to Greg for giving us his time. If you're new to the Golden Hour podcast, thank you for giving us a shot. I would encourage you to look at our back catalog of amazing guests that we've had over the last several months. We've had people such as Chris Bricard, Sorrell Amore, Chris Howe, and Lizzie Pierce, Josh Yo, Gerald Undone, Kitty from Atola Visuals, and the list goes on and on. If you're in the photography and filmmaking niche, you really will enjoy this show, and we ask you to please consider subscribing to the Golden Hour Podcast. We post new episodes every single Tuesday. For everyone else who's already subscribed and has listened to other episodes of this podcast, thank you so much for being a listener of the show. It really means the world to us. We just ask that if this show brought value to you, please consider sharing it with someone else who you think would enjoy it as well. All of us at Polar Pro would like to thank everyone for listening to this podcast and for making 2019 an amazing year for us. So without any further ado, let's listen in on our interview with Greg. Here we are in uh, Las Vegas with the one and only Greg Farnham, good friend of mine. Thanks for being on the podcast today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: This is actually one of our first true remote uh, podcasts other than the Chris Bricard episode that we did like a year ago. Uh, We're actually here at CES 2020. You're here actually working Mm -hmm. the event as a freelancer. Um, You still haven't walked the floor yet, but what have you seen or heard about that has been interesting? Anything at all? Yeah, so I mean, I've
0: been here mostly um, shooting for Bose Automotive. So they do all their stuff off site. And this is actually the second year, second or third year that I've shot for them. So I've been here during CES, nice. but I still have never been to the actual show. So I'm super excited. Hopefully, <laughs> I'll have some time later today to get over there. Um, but yeah, they're, most of the stuff that I'm seeing is just online. So obviously, like yeah. the Canon 1DX Mark III is kind of a huge, huge thing in the, uh, the video world. Um, other than that, nothing really stands out from like the camera manufacturers, at least. Yeah. Um, there's obviously some cool like electric cars that are being announced. Um,
1: Sony so made it an electric car this year. I saw that. It, it looks pretty good. It looks like a Tesla. Yeah, <laughs> it does <laughs> very um, much. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting show. I mean, it's called Consumer Electronics, and both of us are mostly interested in professional electronics. Yes. <laughs> so there is that aspect to it. I mean, you've got a lot of phones, a lot of laptops, a lot of you know gaming devices, VR, mm-hmm. all the kind of hot button trendy things, 8K TVs, all that yeah. type of stuff. I mean, do you think there's a future in uh, 8K when it comes to televisions? Like, are real consumers buying 8K TVs, you think? Not now. I, yeah. <laughs> I think that's
0: part of the CES that is definitely leaning towards just like the novelty of it, like oh my god, you have an AK TV. Um, yeah. But I think, I think shooting it is definitely going in that direction. As you are seeing with like a lot of cameras, even on the cheaper side, like I've been shooting on the the Pocket Six K, which I know we'll talk a little bit about, yeah. Um, and that's shooting six K raw footage. So like, there's definitely cameras that are accessible to be able to shoot that kind of footage um so having displays kind of follow along with that or even come first Mm -hmm. um is definitely gonna be happening i think more and more um it gets to a point of like diminishing returns though where it's like it's so good that it can't really get any better yeah at least on like smaller screens. so it's really taking those 8k's and then getting them to a larger size or doing them in kind of like projector screens but actually on a display
1: exactly that's what's so amazing about the higher resolution here at ces that i've seen they've got these huge video walls that are you know i don't even know how big they are but they're these massive they fill an entire wall screens Mm -hmm. and that's where the resolution comes into play because you can you can barely see the pixels even on the huge display yeah standing right in front standing right in front of you (laughs) so that's the thing is like if you had a 4k tv that's you know 70 inches and you put it at a normal distance where your couch would be when you're sitting mm-hmm. it still looks fine like that's kind of the thing is like they're trying to figure out how to sell these products
0: yeah what what your eyes are eyes are able to resolve is going to be the same whether it's 8k mm-hmm. or 4k like you're not really going to tell the difference unless you're right on top of it yeah. that's where the difference comes in
1: and having a huge screen like that in your home like you really have to have like a dedicated theater room or something because the screens are getting so big it's kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. like you're not going to just walk into your friend's house, you know, in their living room and they've got, you know, this hundred inch TV filling their entire living room wall. Like it's just right. not normal, you know,
0: but they're getting thinner as well. So like as they're getting wider and like mm-hmm. you're getting more, I guess, field of view, it's also getting thinner. So that, like, the, I mean, there's the wallpaper TVs that That's are basically true. like a little bit thicker than like a couple pieces of paper. Yeah. And it's just like an LED panel that can go right up against the wall so it can hide in your room you could even put like a photo on it and then when yeah, you're ready to do the TV you switch over the TV and now it's like yeah you have this whole display
1: i think last year at CES there was this great display that was like a it looked like a like a desk or something and then the TV like came out of the desk mm-hmm. cuz it would roll and fold itself up into itself so you can actually turn the tv off and then the tv just goes it into, disappears it disappears and goes completely away
0: i've seen that with like bed the end of beds too yeah they have those like oh yeah that know, was like, like cabinets that like oh my gosh have the
1: tvs that, that was so like cribs like in yeah. the early 2000s <laughs> like pin my crib <laughs> yeah right when like plasma screens were a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> so people started putting them in these like robotic uh you know little things next motorized to tables motorized, yeah. yeah pretty amazing so uh, we can talk more about all the new tech and stuff, but let's get the people listening uh, up to speed on who you are, what your history is, and uh, we've been friends for a while, so I, w- I would love for you to just share where you're from and yeah. currently what you're doing, and then we could talk about like, how you got there.
0: Definitely. So um, my name's Greg Farnham, obviously, um, <laughs> as you know from the title list. Uh, I live in New Hampshire, so up in the northeast side. Um, I've been there most of my life. I went down to Florida for a little bit for school. Um, which we can dive into um, yeah. film school. And currently um, I'm kind of splitting myself between doing a full-time YouTube job for Lens Pro to go, which is a rental house and uh, freelance commercial work. Um, I basically I'm full time with Lens Pro and then I freelance probably three or four times a month. I'm doing mm. shoots um, as a commercial cinematographer, doing short branded pieces, um, some TV content for like regional areas, things like that.
1: Perfect, and I mean, let's talk about that. You you went to film school. What school did you go to?
0: Yeah, so I went to uh, Full Sail University, which is in Winter Park, Florida, right outside of Orlando. Um, I originally went down to school for I was going to do visual effects. Like I was super into mm. uh, Video Copilot, Andrew Kramer, like yes. learning Andrew all of those here. things. Yep. Um, that's how he
1: started all of his video tutorials by the way anybody who doesn't know (laughs) like, why did he just say that um but yeah cool so you wanted to get into vfx yeah
0: vfx like loved it doing all the explosions the action stuff kind of like freddie wong like Mm -hmm. rocket jump all all of those those kind of things the corridor digital guys Mm -hmm. um and i got to school did all like the basic classes. So you get like your sciences, your maths, all the normal stuff like out of the way. And then you get into sort of what your degree is for. So starting like photography and filmmaking and all of your like cinematography, directing, lighting classes, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And uh, I realized that I did not want to be in a, dark room by myself (laughs) (laughs) i really love like the team aspect of being on set and shooting things Mm -hmm. um so very quickly i sort of diverted away from the editing side and doing post and vfx into being on set and shooting um kind of started in the camera department doing like ac work and camera operating and then transitioned more into like the the dp side um, from a camera standpoint and then in the past like couple of years, I've been diving really heavy into doing lighting because I think that's just so important for mm-hmm. everything. Like you could have the crappiest camera, but if you have really solid lighting, it's going to look good no matter what. And that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Um, so the gear is is less important, and then having the gear just enhances what you're already able to do with with lighting.
1: And so you you came out of film school. I mean, was it worth it to you? I mean, this is a big topic. A lot of people talk about like. Is it valuable to go to film school, especially now in 2020? Maybe somebody's listening who's in high school right now. They want to do what you're doing. Should they go to school? Should they just do something else? What do you think?
0: I mean, I don't want to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think for me at the time, it was like right in the transition between where school was kind of like it was still an option, but it was definitely fading out and where YouTube and the online education space was like booming um, I think now there are so many talented people that are giving free education mm-hmm. that the money that you could be putting into school could definitely be used in different places. Um, like you could get that loan, get a small gear package, and then start building out a production company and building networks that way. Yeah. Um, I do think it really depends on where you want to go. Um, I think if you're trying to go more towards the Hollywood side, going into film school and getting those connections with a lot of the teachers who have like networks in the industry that you can get in contact with and they can help sort of propel your career into the film world. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're doing more commercial stuff, it's mostly, I think, getting them on set. Like getting on set, meeting people, building up your own network and just starting to shoot and do it and, and build your craft and like yeah, experience everything.
1: Absolutely. I mean... Uh, We're probably the same age and it was the same for me. I was going to go to animation school and I eventually started doing, because of the DSLR revolution, while I was in school, I got a 5D or I had access to one and we just started shooting weddings and it just turned into more and more, you know, work. And like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing how the internet really changed everything. How did it change you? I mean, you're a YouTuber now. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, my full-time job is, is a YouTuber, um, for Lens Pro to Go. So I do a lot of like online education stuff, kind of like what I was just talking about, teaching people about gear, doing comparisons, tests, so people can really understand the differences in the equipment and the options that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's definitely, I think just doing that has really helped my career as well, because I get such a deep understanding of the gear and how to use it that when I bring that onto my freelance stuff, I can, well, pretty much on any production with any camera, any like tools and understand how to work them properly, Mm -hmm. um, which I think has been a huge benefit. And I think looking for a rental house, like if you're kind of starting out, it's a great place to get into just for a few years to like really get your hands on some gear. If you don't have access to that stuff already Mm -hmm. and then kind of freelance off of that and just build some contacts through the rental houses. Um, that's been great for me. I'm not really sure in the future where that that market's going um, or the need for like the super high-end rental stuff because gear is just getting so cheap. Um, there's obviously going to be like the Hollywood film commercial stuff that's always going to be using like the best of the best. Mm-hmm. But I think for most people starting out, like just getting your hands on some cameras and then shooting is is the best way to get into it.
1: So you went to Florida. Uh, was was that always just a temporary thing? Did you think that you were going to stay there at all? I mean –
0: um. Honestly, I thought I'd be out in California. Mm -hmm. Um, So I looked at a bunch of different schools. I looked at, like, all of the art institutes. We went down to Miami. Kind of did, like, a whole tour of, like, the Florida area. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandparents lived down there at the time. So, like, it was going to be fun to be down there and sort of near them. Um, So it was kind of always the idea to kind of go away for school and then figure it out after that. There wasn't really, like, a a long-term plan, like, I'm going to go here. Um, But because I was going for, like, film... Obviously, I thought I'd be going into more um, like longer form narrative stuff. And yeah. then California just seemed like the place that that would happen. Sure. Um, a few months before I graduated, I met my current girlfriend who I've been with for seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, she's waiting for the ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I ended up moving back to New Hampshire, um, did some work around there, just kind of got my feet wet like in the industry, started doing a weddings, which is kind of like, I think that's probably the way that most people <laughs> get into the industry is like they do weddings because it's it's very reliable because it's always happening. Yeah. Um, they pay pretty well and it's just like it's an ongoing thing. Everybody's getting married all the time. Um, <laughs> so that's a great place to start and get your feet wet and you can kind of get um, some really good documentary skills because yeah. you have to be able to do everything. You got to be able to do audio quick. You have to do lighting lenses, like changing all that stuff, changing your settings, going into different locations and like just moving around all day. So it's a really good, like kind of intense boot camp almost, um, for like the commercial world.
1: I think again, I mean, my, my story is similar. And, uh, for me, the wedding stuff has really applied to the YouTuber lifestyle too, where you've got quick turnarounds and good enough is, is good enough. And you got to just kind of, you know, go with the flow and, you know, be on your feet and just make it happen. Obviously, you have a nice studio with good lighting and there's a little bit more control there. Yeah. But, um, you know, using some of those skills from the wedding industry can really apply to a lot of different uh, avenues in the video world. Definitely. When I was doing uh, mission work and some non stuff, it was perfect for that. I mean, documentary and stuff, it's perfect.
0: Yeah. I even think, like, a lot more, I don't want to say, like, all commercial stuff but I feel like a lot of my commercial work like even the stuff that I'm doing here for Bose like it's it's all going towards that faster like turn like we just need the content we need it quick like get the edit done and do this and I think that doing the wedding stuff really like you're saying like helped out help craft that mm-hmm. that speed and that urgency um for the type of commercial work that I'm doing now like there's obviously stuff that takes longer mm-hmm. um but for most shoots like you're getting like two or three days maybe for a commercial shoot. And usually they're like, oh, we need it by the end of next month. And like, you have to do all your posts and color grading and everything like that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's a good good place to get started and kind of like kick off kick off a career.
1: Did you learn new things that sharpened your skills even more after graduating film school and doing that instead? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, film school... Was great because I, I, we didn't really actually talk about too much in what happened at film school. Um,
1: well, let's talk about it's it. It's
0: a, <laughs> yeah, it's full sales, a, a very interesting type of school because you basically go in and you say, This is what I want my degree to be at the end. And they say, Okay, here's your classes because you get a, a bachelor's, um, in my case, it was a bachelor's of science in film and video production in 21 months, which is a four year degree. So you're doing all of it in half the time. So they really need to like crunch everything down and be like, Oh, you can't take any like extracurricular type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really great. Cause you just like get in, you do your stuff and then you can get out earlier and start working and experiencing. Cause that's really what it's about is like doing the actual stuff. Um, throughout the school you do like different projects. Like we shot some 16 millimeter film. We shot 35 millimeter. We shot like high end digital stuff. So like I was when like the Alexa first came out. Um, so you get a lot of like experiences and a really safe place to fail, which I think is what's really awesome about yeah. film school. Um, but again, like that was directed more towards the Hollywood narrative, like shooting short films and features rather than the commercial world, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I find most of my stuff now, like just on that, the shorter schedules, I, I just can't travel somewhere for like six or seven months to go shoot a feature and then come back. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why, where I've ended up in, in commercial work.
1: And that's where the wedding stuff was a, a, another great place to mm-hmm. fail, but not actually fail. Cause if you fail a wedding, then that's a big fail, but yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a big fail for someone. yes, For, for someone <laughs> very
1: special. Um, but uh, so you, you got back to new England. What's the, what's the culture like there when it comes to freelance uh, video and filmmaking?
0: It's tough. I mean, I, I ended up moving to Southern New Hampshire. So I, I lived in the white mountains, which is kind of like central New Hampshire up there, it's a lot of small local businesses. So mm-hmm. I did, I, I actually, while I was working up there, because I didn't have like a film job or a commercial job right out of work doing um, video production, um, I worked at a, like a high ropes course, and then um, that was like a seasonal job because I didn't do it through the winter. And then I ended up working at a t shirt printing place. And both of those were actually kind of like my first commercial gig. So while I was working there, I was like, hey, I have this, like I went to school for video. Let me make a video for you guys. So we did like a couple series and stuff which looking back now are awful they're so bad
1: (laughs) um but again another great place to to learn and and to fail because you know mm -hmm. they're you're you're an employee there and they're not expecting you know they're not paying you extra
0: for it you're just like oh hey i work here i know you guys let's let's
1: make a quick video i'm sure i mean how was their response to it? i'm sure they loved it right
0: oh yeah they thought it was great um i mean it was the T-shirt printing one was like a documentary. It was like a, I don't know, 13 minute, 14 minute thing, just on like the whole process of how they do T-shirt printing. But now they can use that as marketing material, even if it's not super great. But we're up in the middle of nowhere, um, so any type of video content that can make them stand out, yeah, is going to be good.
1: That's awesome. Um, so what what happened then when it comes to Lens Pro to go and in, in your your job there?
0: Yeah. So while I was working at the T-shirt printing place, um, I was trying to find a way to get. Towards Southern New Hampshire, um, just because I knew there's gonna be a bigger market there. We have Boston, like less than an hour away, which there is a much bigger scene for a lot of commercial work and like film and stuff. Um, so, reached out to a bunch of rental houses. It, act, this is how I get most of my jobs actually, which is kind of strange, but really just cold emailing them and mm-hmm. calling them. Um, I know it's not ideal, but like when Lens Pro, when I reached out to Lens Pro, they weren't looking for anybody. Um, I just happened to be right place, right time. I emailed them, said, Hey, I just got my degree in film. Like I know a ton about video gear and stuff like that. And they're like, uh, I don't know. We don't really need anybody else right now. We're not hiring. Stayed persistent. Cause they seemed they, like I kind of had them on the hook a little bit. Um, cause they were interested. They were trying to transition more into video. So I had a really like nice, um, addition to their team. Yeah. Um, so I stayed in touch with them over like the next like month or so being very persistent. Like, Hey, I want to come in and just meet you guys. Like no commitments. I just want to come in and say hi, stuff like that. And just see the place ended up going down there for an interview, which was like, it was like almost a three hour drive from where I was living at the time. Um, had the interview went well. They were super happy. I mean, like I was, I'm a nice guy. So So, like that came off really well. Um, they saw that I was passionate and cared about it. I was like, I guess I was tech savvy in in the video space with gear because it was a lot of stuff that they hadn't even looked at yet because they were still a mainly photo company at that time, just planting like photo cameras and lenses, DSLRs, stuff like that. Um, so a couple weeks went by. Reached back out to them. Eventually, they're like, "Yeah, let's let's come on. Let's do it for like a short term thing. Like, let's just have you come down, see if we can work something out, find a place that you can fit in." Um, so I came on as sort of a a gear tech, so just doing testing, making sure that all the stuff was together and the kits were together when gear came back, um, fixing broken stuff, things like that. And then a few years in, uh, I transitioned into sort of the shipping side, so really just making sure all the gear was cleaned before it went out so that it was, like, presentable for our customers and where stuff was going. And while I was doing that, I was able to kind of wrap my job up that by, like, noon, Mm-hmm. So the second half of the day, I was like, well, I have all this extra time. I have this v- these video skills. YouTube was a great place that like I was watching a lot of. Um, and I was like, well, let's just make some videos about this gear. We have so much of it here on the shelves. Like let's just go talk about it and teach people about it and try and get people to, to see the new things that are out there instead of just what they always have on set. Um, so I started doing videos and then in the last like two and a half years, I've been doing full-time videos for them because it started to take off, and like we got a really good response from it. People love the videos. It's an asset that we can use on on the website to sort of build up our knowledge and our background on it as well, and and show that we we are also people that use this gear. We're not just like a big warehouse that can send it to you. Yeah. Um, and then that's yeah, kind of where it is now, and that's yeah, what, what we've been doing.
1: And that's how we've met. I mean, I think we've known each other for mm-hmm. three years or so, three or four years. Yes. Yeah. I think I probably met you before you were fully active on the channel, mm-hmm. but you were you know at conventions and stuff. I saw you at NAB uh, years ago, um, and yeah, these last couple of years, like seeing how YouTube has been really affecting companies and stuff. It's really cool to see what you guys have done because Lens Pro to Go's YouTube channel really is you know your creation and your are creative, and it, it doesn't feel like much of a it doesn't feel like a commercial for a lens pro necessarily. Yeah, it makes me want to rent stuff because I'm looking at lenses that I maybe never saw before that are way outside my price range. So renting is probably the the best option for me to go for. Mm-hmm. You know, a thirty thousand dollar cinema lens, and seeing yeah. your seeing your reviews and things like that. It's really first off, as a nerd, it's very fulfilling to, <laughs> to see the lens tests and to see the character and the. Uh, I always skip to the bokeh parts. Like I want to see yep. what the bokeh looks like. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you're doing a lot of high end stuff, but then you also will will do the lower end stuff as well. I mean, tell yeah, me about just, Yeah, tell me about just the whole like process of developing the channel as a whole and what you're now that it's been a couple of years. Like, what's what has the response been uh, and the effect? Of the company
0: yeah uh, so originally kind of going back to your point about like it doesn't feel like a commercial channel like i my goal was never to sell stuff i was there purely as an educator like i just wanted to teach people about this stuff because i'm super interested in it. i thought it was really cool tech and really cool gear and i wanted people to be able to play with it too and understand it and and really have a use for it um so my goal from the beginning was to make educational content about the gear, not to sell people. If they follow along and they enjoy the content and then they keep seeing it come up and then they want to try something, hopefully we're the name that they think of because of that content. Yeah. But it's never there to be like, you need to try this right now. This is the best thing. Go get it, uh-huh. go rent it, pay us money, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so that was always the mindset behind it at the beginning. And then that's still, I mean, that's still the mindset now. Um, just making content that's educational and can teach people how to use this gear and and advance their their craft.
1: Yeah. Um and it is. I mean Last night, a bunch of other YouTubers, uh, and, and you and I were just hanging out and we were, it was actually funny. It just got late and we were all just kind of laying around <laughs> and we just started to say, we decided to watch each other's YouTube videos mm-hmm. and we pulled up your Laowa, uh, macro lens. It's what's the name the of the probe that? lens, the probe lens. It's the super long, like, called the anteater. <laughs> yeah. It looks like an anteater and, uh, you can do some really creative things with it. And that video has like 450,000 views or something, yeah. almost half a million views and, um, uh, you know, we were watching it and it was so educational, so interesting. And because of Lens Pro to Go, you had, you know, early access to it and you know, you you were able to make that video before a lot of other people mm-hmm. caught on to it. You're able to see probably little little nuggets, you know, at the office that are like, Wait, what is that? Okay, I'm gonna make a video about that. That's cool, you know. Yeah. I'm sure being having access to a rental house like Lens Pro to Go and honestly now Lens Rentals, which Yep. You know, it technically has uh acquired Lens Pro to go and so you're just one big company now. Mm-hmm. Um so you have all this access to gear. I mean, that's gotta be fun, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, we have some great perks there, um, of being able to like take gear and just go shoot with it on the weekend. So like if we have some reds in house and it's there for the weekend, no customers are taking out, we have access to it. So we can Throw on some Cine Glass and just go shoot some flowers or shoot some stuff in the <laughs> woods, like just some random things. Yeah. Um, without necessarily needing a project or shelling out the thousand dollars it would cost to rent it for the weekend. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely been a lot of fun to really kind of follow the trends of video because basically anything new from the manufacturers like Sony, Canon, Fuji, uh, Nikon, like all of those new cameras, we're we're getting them because people want to rent them, they want to try them out, which also means that we get to try them out. Um, which has been really fun to, yeah, play around with that and just see the differences and see the sort of evolvement over, at least for me, like, the last seven years. Like, I went in with the um, FS700 was the, like, only video camera that they had there now, and now we have Phantom high-speed cameras. We have uh, Aria Miras. We have, like, all the RED lineup, all the DSMC2 cameras. Um, So to be able to, like, yeah, go from... DSLRs and smaller cameras up to this high end stuff and really experience it as sort of the trend changes in the industry of commercial work and being able to use it on freelance stuff has been awesome.
1: Well, I mean let's talk about rental houses in general. I mean what Lens Pro and what Lens Rentals have done is they took what was normally such a local establishment Mm -hmm. and they made it nationwide and uh, I remember Lens Rentals was based in Memphis, and I was living in Nashville, and they had a, a satellite in Nashville, um, and so I used Lens Rentals often, and it was just incredible. I mean, you just go on the website, you pick what you want, and then next thing you know, it shows up at your door. I yeah. mean, the, that was a revolution for, for photographers and filmmakers.
0: Definitely, because it allowed access to people outside of like Hollywood, like New York, LA, and like Florida area where where <laughs> most of, or at least atlanta i guess where most of the big film production is like that's where you have all of the local sort of brick house um rental companies and this allowed people to shoot anywhere in the united states we wish we could do international but there's just dealing with customs is you, you can't yeah. you never know when stuff will get there or when we'll get it back um but yeah i mean if you could be in the middle of nowhere if fedex or ups delivers there we can get you gear.
1: Yeah, um, which means Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> yes. It
0: means Alaska and Hawaii. Um, and you can yeah, try this stuff out, use it on shoots and really like um advance like the type of mm-hmm. video and production that you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, on on the you know I recommend people all the time to to consider renting instead of buying because especially when you're when you're about to drop three to five thousand dollars on just a DSLR or a you know video camera. It's a huge purchase, and um, you might not like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I've I've definitely had buyer, buyers remorse on certain products, and I'm like, ah, should have rented that one, or, <laughs> you know. And sometimes people look at the price of a rental and like, oh, three hundred bucks for a weekend or whatever for this. But those are things that you can actually start to tack on and charge if you're a freelancer um, or even a wedding shooter. Yeah, you can build that into your price. Say, um, you know, my 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 fee is you know X amount. And then I'm going to need about three to $400 for rentals, you know, and you just build that in there. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's tax write-off. You know, it's just, it's great. And you got all these cool incentives and things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a wonderful way to do it. I had a friend who every month would just rent a new lens and just try it out. And uh, that was something that he built into his pricing uh, for wedding shooting. And um, that was how he was able to decide, I want this lens. I don't like that lens. Like that's how he f- discovered the... The uh, 135L lens from Canon, yep, the F2. The F2. Um, it's kind of a small, compact telephoto, but it's got crazy bokeh, super sharp. Mm-hmm. It's an old lens, so it's not that expensive. And he rented it and was like, dang, this is like amazing. I'm going to buy one, you know. Mm-hmm. So, really amazing. If you haven't checked out lensprotogo.com, check it out. Um, so let's let's talk about your your freelance filmmaking and stuff i mean you're here right now doing a freelance gig yeah um obviously lens pro allows you to to do this and the flexibility of that is pretty awesome
0: yeah i have um sort of a unique setup there um i mean obviously for this like i'm taking vacation days because i'm basically taking a week off to be down here to shoot okay. this gotcha um so in this case it's uh, vacation time but if you go on the channel, I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of a lot of the commercial jobs that I do, at least the ones that I'm able to share, um, and that kind of doubles up. So I can be shooting behind-the-scenes content for the education side of things, and then I can also be doing freelance gigs and still advancing myself and my career in that world. Um, so it's been it's been really great to sort of have both of those those sides of it. Sure. Where I have like the study thing, I have the freelance gig, and then there's the, the, like, it's the word for it.
1: Multiple streams of income, <laughs>
0: multiple streams of income for sure. Um, but just sort of the fluidity of both of those working together Yeah. where As I can a make creative. it work. Yeah.
1: yeah. As a creative, it's stimulating to, to be able to to kind of hop around and, and try different things, put your mm-hmm. hands in different things. And, um, yeah, like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of value in working for a company and having that stability and having that reliability and, uh also having a bankroll, you know, you're getting access to hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear mm-hmm. because of of their access. But then being freelancer you're able to maybe hop around and do some things that you wouldn't normally do. So it's yeah. really fun. But you know, how how have you built your business as a freelancer? Just making connections and stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean it that's really what it's all about. Again, this kind of goes back to how I got the LensPro job like I just mm-hmm. cold emailed a bunch of production companies and it's it ends up being like this right time right place thing um where I emailed a couple of them at the time that they were starting to do a little bit of internal transitions where the guy who was shooting most of it was going more towards a director producer role and they needed somebody to come in and start shooting so I was able to fill that role for them Mm -hmm. um i had a small reel at the time so there wasn't a lot of like big jobs on there but it was like hey let's start out and do stuff um i started out i think i was doing maybe like 300 bucks a day for dp work Mm -hmm. um and i was like bringing some of my own gear and stuff like that which is very low um (laughs) and then but i was starting out i mean that you gotta start somewhere you gotta have i was doing $150 $150 a day for the wedding stuff, which is like 12 hour days. I was driving two hours because were weddings were all like down towards Boston.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Um, but you just get into it and then yeah. that it, it evolves and, and you start charging more and you realize, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. They can pay me a little bit more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally.
0: Um, and actually one of the companies that I did weddings for um, at the same time that I was sort of reaching out to more commercial stuff they were transitioning into commercial work as well. So I'd already had like a reputation with them, and they knew me as a, a solid shooter. Nice. Um, so I just started coming in and doing second shooting and then eventually dp work for them as well
1: absolutely i mean um, freelance life is just all about the connections you you gotta network you gotta 100 even just going into coffee shops and uh in local areas and just seeing people editing and being like hey you're an editor cool you got some work or like yeah not even <laughs> that's probably not the best way to, <laughs> to hey you got some work for me um you know just be genuine and be friendly and uh and stuff yeah. will happen i mean that's how you know. That's how we know each other. We just see each other at conventions, doing stuff like this. actually. Yeah, events
0: are our events are huge.
1: Yeah, CineGear, NAB, CES, mm-hmm. Photokina. If you can fly to Germany, yeah, um, things that gather people that are like minded that are doing the same thing. Events like this where people show up. I mean, that's just shaking hands and exchanging business cards and just mm-hmm. you know
0: staying in touch with them. Yeah. Um, another way that I don't do too much to get clients, but I know a bunch of people who do is if you try to find, like figure out what you're obviously like, you're into video cause that's what you want to do, but find out like another passion that you have and something that you'd love to be shooting video of, mm-hmm. because there's so many things out there that need video. You could be doing weddings. I know a lot of people who shoot weddings and they love them. I know people who shoot weddings and then they're like, eh, weddings aren't for me. Um, yeah. But find those passions and like, if you're super into food, try and find food conventions that aren't necessarily full of tech people because mm, most smart. of the time like, when we're going to this stuff, like, we're all doing the same thing. We're not necessarily competition because we're in different areas, yeah. but we're all doing video production. Um, if you can go to a place that's a conference or some sort of event that's not for video production or video gear mm-hmm. and you can start building context of people in the industry that would need that type of video. Yeah. Um Smart. and that's a great way to sort of build up your network and find people who you want to work with because they're doing stuff that you want to work with.
1: Absolutely. That's a great idea. I never thought of that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um trying to think if there's any other ways that you could I mean mm-hmm. just cold emailing people too. Not even going to events, just
1: yeah, utilizing the internet. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can build a following online. You can just find Facebook groups, private Facebook groups in your local areas. Um, you know, there's a lot, to, a lot, a lot of opportunities. I had a friend who, who literally would door to door go to businesses and just like be like, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a videographer. You know, maybe I'll do a free uh, promo, and if mm-hmm. you like it, you know, hire me in the future." And he just he did that for like a year straight. I think he did like thirty like free uh, yeah. promos, and they were pretty simple. You know, took him like a day or two to to do it and that eventually turned into some pretty huge gigs. Yeah. So, you just got to go out there and make it happen, but it does take a certain type of person to do that and um, you know, you you know, be self-aware enough to realize if that's you or not if you want to live the mm-hmm. freelance lifestyle. It's it's a challenge because there's no guarantee and you never know.
0: So. Yeah. If there's if you want to try and get something out of it too instead of just doing free work, a great way is to try and barter for services. So it's like, "Oh, you have something that that I could benefit from, and I have something you could benefit from. Can we work out a deal instead of me paying you for your service and then you paying me? Because it's going to be cheaper for them to give you the service. It's going to be cheaper for you to give them the service. Mm-hmm. So finding ways to barter and sort of still get something out of it, yeah. while giving them something very valuable, and sort of building relationships that way. And then when the bigger jobs come along, they already know you. You've shot with them. You yeah. have this sort of relationship, and then yeah, they'll they'll hire you on. Absolutely.
1: I'm interrupting this interview to remind you guys to please subscribe to the Golden Hour podcast if you haven't already. If you've enjoyed it so far and you haven't subscribed, I think now is a great time to do so. And if you and if you already are a subscriber of the Golden Hour podcast, please consider sharing this episode with a friend who would enjoy it as well. Also, if you want to follow along while you're listening to the podcast, I would encourage you guys to check out Greg's YouTube channel, Lens Pro to Go. You can see some of the stuff that we're talking about. That was a super quick break, right? Let's get back to my interview with Greg. Let's talk uh, YouTube again. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. we you, you, you did the YouTube channel, um, but like I'm, you know, involved in YouTube, and I think it's a fascinating thing and. Coming from the freelance filmmaking background, I think you and I can relate on kind of the more traditional side of that. And like the things that I've seen, at least for me with my career with YouTube, it's just been so exciting and so invigorating because the freedom and flexibility of it and the the power of it is really Mm -hmm. incredible. Um, You know, I've never had this much fun in my life, you know, doing video because you really have full creative freedom and people who like what you like will kind of find you and will follow you. And, um, people who don't, they, they'll let you know and they'll, yep. you can block them. (laughs) They'll they'll troll you in the comments for sure. (laughs) But I mean, what I'm I'm just like overall, like what is your kind of, um, perspective been coming from, you know, we're kind of older, right? Like we didn't grow up with it necessarily. Yeah. (laughs) So like, what has your perspective been like seeing, you know, your career in YouTube and how have you grown? I mean, when you look at your first video, to now i mean
0: there's a huge gap night and day i think most of it is with the presentation side um i mean obviously there's technical stuff like my lighting and the first videos were awful (laughs) like i was like oh yeah i'm out of film school i know what i'm doing no idea what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was terrible but yeah so there's the production side and the technical side of just sort of evolving over time Be like oh tweaking these little things every time you do a video you get to tweak it one little time and i've done I think almost 400 videos wow. for Lens Pro now. So it's definitely a lot of like repetition, which helps build it up. Um, but the really, the, the presentation side and being more comfortable talking has what has been like the thing that I've benefited from the most. Mm-hmm. Like you just really get confident, and especially when you're editing your own stuff, like you just get so. Not necessarily comfortable because there's, there's always awkward, cringy moments. <laughs> yeah. But you just get so self-aware of like, that's who I am. That's how I talk. These are like my yeah. mannerisms and this is the stuff I do. It's
1: true. You see your little ticks and mannerisms. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And and you just get really like okay with who you are, which is really cool. Um, and I think that's been like the biggest growth for me, at least in my career, is like I, I feel more comfortable with myself doing YouTube now. Because like you're just putting yourself out there and you're just like this is who I am. This is how I talk. And like, yeah. it's uncomfortable. So going back to what we were doing last night, like we were all watching each other's videos and whenever somebody was like, okay, you're up next kitty. We're watching your video. Yeah.
1: She's like, no, no, don't put it on.
0: <laughs> and it's just like, it's this uncomfortable thing of watching yourself with a bunch of other people. Yeah. But it's, it's just, it's a really good thing and you get awesome feedback and like the was community fun. that you build. Is, it felt is good great. to have
1: the support. And yeah, that's the other thing too, that the community that I've, uh, experienced mm-hmm. in a specifically the YouTuber niche that we're all in, like the little group of people that that we've met over over the last couple of years, and it's yeah. growing. I mean, there's always new people joining that niche, the photography filmmaking niche. Yeah, and uh, it's just so supportive because it's like not only do we all love filmmaking and photography. But we're also, you know, involved in this whole YouTuber world, which is so unique. I mean, yeah. anytime you, you interact with somebody and they ask, you know, what do you do? It's like, you know, I just say like, I make videos on the internet, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's, if you get really specific about it, they're like, wait, what? You're a YouTuber? What does that mean? You know, how you make money with that? How do you yeah. do that? <laughs> so, um, it's, yeah, it's so fascinating. And, and it's interesting because basically now the, the barrier between making something and just distributing it like it that that's pretty much it's gone i mean the you yeah. have access there's no middlemen yeah you, you don't need to have a producer that has a deal with a studio that puts millions of dollars into marketing and whatever mm-hmm. and um i you can make a short film and put it out there and it might get traction that could lead lead to something um or not you know i mean <laughs> you look at yeah. Ryan Connolly who's been making short films forever and he's still you know just cranking out amazing films and uh you know i know that it's helped him get some meetings and stuff but i don't you know i don't know if people take youtubers seriously yet still Mm -hmm. i think it might take a whole nother generation of hollywood to actually start taking us seriously but um there's just this connotation that we're just a bunch of vloggers that you know don't know anything about filmmaking, I guess. Yeah. But. I think we were talking about this yesterday when we were playing uh, ping pong together. Which, by the way, Greg is a really good ping pong <laughs> <laughs> player. Uh, but like the quality level for tech and gear reviewers, like it almost has to be The like, standard. The bar is better. so much higher. Yeah, it's kind of annoying because you can see other YouTubers and other genres that can get away with like poor audio and bad lighting and get tons of <laughs> views and success. Mm-hmm. But then in our niche, it's almost like part of the reason why people are watching us is because, you know, they want to learn what we're doing and how we're doing it. And so it needs to be good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it is fun because as a DP and uh, director, you're able to flex your, you know, your skills and have opportunities to do that. I mean, yeah. H- how are you implementing your filmmaking, you know, experience from film school and even the higher end production stuff into your YouTube stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to a lot of like the technical side and just how that's built over time. In all honesty, like I think most of the time it's more of a hindrance to try and do that because it, we we just try to go so much for the perfection and making it look perfect and tweaking every little thing, where the content is really what's important and like just getting that information out there or the entertainment or whatever it is. And that's why a lot of those other channels do so well is because they can just pump out they could do daily vlogs and they can do it every single day and just have that consistency where it's a lot more work on our end. Cause we're trying to make it perfect. We're trying to make every shot matter and make it all like come together in a cohesive thing, which yeah. takes a lot more involvement, especially when you're a one man band and you don't have like a team of people. Um, even me like I occasionally I'll have an editor help me out but for the most part that whole channel is I'm producing I'm writing I'm directing I'm talent I'm editing I'm marketing it after the fact trying to push out the videos and gain traction and reach out to different outlets um, and online like blogs and stuff like that to get those videos picked up and out into the world Yeah, and that's a lot of work for for one person
1: yeah yeah it's kind of I mean, what are you going to do about that? Are you looking at getting an editor or what?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I would love to. It. I mean, at that point, it's it's figuring out what Lens Pro and Lens Rentals want to do sure. with the channel and how much they want to take it off. Um, I mean, I've started to also do sort of my own YouTube channel side, doing some FPV drone videos, and I'm going to be doing some more of my personal behind the scenes stuff. Um, nice for other ones on there.
1: Yeah, we watched. That was one of the videos that we all watched yeah. together last night, and it was great FPV drone stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um let's talk gear a little bit because i'm a gearhead and i love talking about it sure the 1dx mark 3 came out here at ces i know you used to shoot on the 1dx mark II a lot and yep. we bonded on, on that because i was shooting on the 1dc mm-hmm. which is another like massive chunky dslr <laughs> i mean are you done with that dslr thing are you on mirrorless now fully
0: yeah i mean i've been probably the last three months i've been shooting a7.3 for all of it um partly is because the file size i was just the 4k and having a crop 4k with massive files it was just like it was more of a hindrance than yeah than it is that's on the
1: the 1dx mark ii by the way everybody if you don't know not only is it it's a full frame camera but when you switch to 4k it crops in slightly and it's kind of like this weird in between like super 35 and full frame Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a 1.3 crop and then the 4K is this horrible codec. It's called Motion JPEG, which was designed like a long, long time ago. And most computers, no matter how much money you throw at a computer, probably can't play it. For some reason, it's just a yeah. terrible codec. It plays great on iPads, though, for some reason, by the <laughs> way. I'll have to try I, that. <laughs> yeah, I imported uh, my 1DC footage on an iPad Pro and used LumaFusion, and it cuts through it like nothing. So it's really crazy. <laughs>
0: I will definitely have to test that. With the new one D three, we'll see one D X Mark three. We'll have yeah. to see how that works. <laughs> but the new
1: one D X Mark three here at CES, they announced it. I mean, it's doing five point five K raw. It's ridiculously massive file sizes. If you thought yours was bad, yeah. it's like two hundred fifty six gig card will give you eighteen minutes of uh, raw recording. So it's yep. a terrible codec. <laughs> uh, it's a great codec if you want a ton of bitrate and a lot of flexibility, but. File sizes are completely unmanageable, but it's now doing internal uh, uh, H.265 10-bit 422. So -hmm. that's nice. That is going to be probably the only mode that I would personally shoot on if I owned it. Um, And then you also have the option to do uh, just an H.264 8-bit, you know, just like the ESR does. Basically the same, which is a much better, easier to use codec than the 1DC or the 1DX2. So... Are you tempted to switch over to the 1DX3 now that it's doing full frame by the way, no crop? Um, I think
0: it's an interesting camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to play around with it and shoot with it. I still think the file size is just going to be too much um shooting in the 10-bit stuff. Um but I just I think the form factor of that for video shooters is like it's done. Yeah that 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 style of camera it's it's come all all these features in this body has come too late um everybody has kind of already switched over to mirrorless and the smaller form factor and smaller camera packages and stuff like that and i think if you're looking at professional video people they're way more into a video camera not a dslr that can shoot video like i don't know how many people are gonna be taking this on their commercial shoots unless they're a photographer first yeah um So I think that's going to be a big drawback and like their pushes. I mean, it's a flagship photo camera. It's they're putting it out for the Olympics so that it can be used for all the sports and stuff like that, but it's not
1: crazy high burst rates.
0: Yeah. It's not designed for the type of, um, either YouTube space or commercial space that I'm personally Mm -hmm. doing. Uh, so I think it's going to be a hard sell to get me to switch over to it, but I'm definitely going to try it out and and play around and do some videos on it because I think it's an interesting camera and I think there are some people that could benefit from that, but it's just probably not me.
1: Yeah. that's weird because you were such a 1DX2 fan for so long.
0: I loved, I, I really did love it. Like I loved the heft of it. It just felt solid, but like losing features, like having any sort of like tilt screen or having like, just the smaller form factor that I can travel with, throw in my bag. It's just yeah, it's it, so it doesn't work for totally. for my style,
1: yeah, right now. <laughs> and uh, Sony's color science has gotten dramatically better than you know when the original A7S came out. Mm-hmm. The A7III does look very good, like it's not bad at all. Um, yeah. And once you learn how to color grade and you learn how to use the camera, you, you really do have to know. sensor and know how to grade it you know that's the the thing that canon does so well is you don't actually need to know how to color grade or how to like set up your profiles because straight out of the box it does look really good but sony's can look really good too you just kind of gotta massage them and you know play with the colors
0: yeah and that's (laughs) what i've done for like my setup for the youtube stuff at least i have a picture profile that i shoot in hybrid log 3 and i just like, yeah, have all my stuff. So when I pull it out of camera, it looks almost exactly how I want it to, and maybe just a few tweaks depending on like the shot or the exposure. But for the most part, like the saturation and contrast and everything is all done in camera. But you do have to kind of have that experience and go through all of the different picture profiles and shoot a little test clip of each one in all these different scenarios and, yeah. and find what works and start tweaking settings and testing. Um,
1: have you done all that on Lens Pro to go? With the A7?
0: I haven't done videos on it, but I've done that done for it. mine. So I've gone Personally. through <laughs> through most of them and kind of found one that I liked. Um, and then just slightly tweaked that, tweak the contrast and saturation and sharpness and all that stuff. Yeah. So now it's at a place that is almost done. So I can throw it in, chop it up really quick, throw some B-roll on it, and just kind of speed yeah. up the process.
1: There's another thing that was announced for video shooters this uh, week at CES... Um, and it's the ProRes RAW with the Nikon Z6. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? What do you think about ProRes RAW as a as a file? Do you use Final Cut?
0: I don't use Final Cut. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm a Adobe Suite um, editor. Most of that going back to doing like starting with VFX, so I was doing a lot of back and forth between Premiere and After Effects. Yeah. I don't do that as much now. I'm mostly in Premiere, but I kind of came up learning that system, so sure. I've just stuck with it. Um. But yeah, ProRes RAW is gonna be a great file format. It's um, like uh, Blackmagic RAW. Yeah, it's gonna be very similar. Um, hopefully, it'll work as smooth as ProRes does on Max, um, which I think it.
1: I think should. it does. I think it's supposed to.
0: Yeah. Um, so that'll be yeah definitely interesting to to play around with. I don't love the Z6 mostly just for the Nikon menus. Um, <laughs> I, I just you know you get you get into these things. There's so many cameras out there. You just like you kind of work towards the ones that flow best and not sure. saying that the Sony A73 has the best menus.
1: Yeah, I was like that's um, why I was laughing cuz I was like uh ah, Sony's not good either. <laughs>
0: I just have it set up on a tripod and I can hit record and yeah. I don't really have to dive too well, deep into it.
1: But. I mean let, let's just say it like flat out like in 2020 it really doesn't matter what brand you use. Mm-hmm. The Nikon Z6 is a great camera. The EOS R is a great camera. The A73 is a great camera. The Panasonic S1 is a great camera. They all do Basically the same things, except the Canon because it doesn't do full frame 4K because it's stupid. But <laughs> you can get incredible footage, um, and obviously photography. These are hybrid cameras. They're mm-hmm. incredible. They're they're all photography first cameras, actually. Yeah. Which is so funny. Yeah. People you know?
0: don't really think about that anymore. They see like the A7 III. They're like, okay, what are the video features? Like that's what they're wanting yeah. to know. And it's like, it's at least that? everybody in our niche. Yeah. yeah. It's it's <laughs> definitely a camera targeted for. Yeah. photo first and somebody who's gonna like be doing some video as well
1: but uh i think right now like there's just so many great options it wasn't like that when we started out like canon's 5d2 was kind of the it was the only thing that was yeah it. that was it that was doing that was literally real video above that was literally HD. it that was the only camera at all that was doing full frame 1080 uh with that image quality so the 5d2 kind of was the reigning champ for like three four years mm-hmm. and everybody was trying to play catch-up it's like hey this new sony alpha thing is is pretty good it's pretty sharp it's like yeah it's small and the batteries are terrible and nikon never they did not catch up at all for forever yeah i um, think like
0: the d850 d750 were the first ones that like mm-hmm. really had some good video features and and like resolution and frame rates and stuff like that
1: and the original uh, gh1 and the gh2 people started to see like mirrorless might be something pretty interesting here. This is really small. You can use adapters, but it wasn't mm-hmm. until like the GH three, I think that we started to like really take that serious. I mean, well, the GH two, when it got hacked, that was pretty yeah. good, but I just bought it. ESR, you know, over Christmas for 1299. That's I mean, an insane price insane. too. And you can buy, um, brand new. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, uh, refurbished. It wasn't used. It was from B and H 1299. Mm-hmm. Like, insane it's full frame mirrorless body and it's great um you can do the same for for sony i mean the a7 III is under two grand the z6 is under two grand i mean really great time
0: yeah and if you look at i mean the camera that i've been shooting a lot of commercial stuff on recently at least like the smaller sort of event stuff is the black magic pocket 6k yeah.
1: 2500
0: bucks for 6k 60 frames a second raw like, raw, raw, footage. raw footage and that's it's compressed
1: insane <laughs> it's not uh, the files on that aren't that bad are they
0: no, I mean we shoot mostly like eight to one, twelve to one, but we shot maybe a terabyte and a half for four days of footage mm-hmm. um, over like fourteen hour days. Like
1: <laughs> I, I guarantee you somebody listening is like, "Oh, whoa!" <laughs> yeah, I mean it definitely is a lot because it's, yeah. raw files, especially at that resolution at six K, are going to be large files. Mm-hmm. But if you were to compare that to an uncompressed raw, that would be what like you know five terabytes. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think I think
0: you can shoot three to one on the pocket 6k and i think it's about 14 minutes for 256 gig so it's close to what the it's actually more than what the raw is for the 1dx mark 3 um so yeah i mean there's definitely some options in there you also get prores on that camera which is prores natively which is awesome instead of having these other weird
1: codecs so it plays really well Yeah, yeah exactly we we went from uh new england to florida film school moving back doing some incredible uh you know well (laughs) working for some companies and doing some promos that led to some cold calls and cold emails led to your lens pro to go Mm -hmm. job which you're now you're still currently doing starting the youtube channel doing freelance i mean your career has really grown and, and changed and shifted did i miss anything there (laughs) <laughs>
0: no, I don't think that's pretty much it. And then, yeah, just I mean, traveling around doing trade shows and stuff now, so doing a lot more travel, which I'm super psyched on. Like, yeah. I love traveling around and meeting new people and and doing this whole thing. And that's one of my favorite things about the whole video production. Like, why I love going to is because you get these chances to be in places and do things that people outside of this industry would never get to do Mm -hmm. um like the Bose thing that I'm shooting for like this is an invite only like private event for high CEOs of these manufacturers and I'm able to get in there and see all this like inner workings of these big (laughs) companies which is fantastic and I, I just love it
1: I've I've experienced the same thing like you you film these like VIP events and you, like I was telling my wife one time I was like I'm getting paid money to be at this thing that people pay like a thousand dollars to be at. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this is crazy, and you get often you get to like enjoy the same food and everything. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so it's uh the perks of uh, the freelance lifestyle are pretty awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and often things are paid for. You know, you were Ubering and lifting around here. And oh yeah, everything's you know,
0: comp. They yeah. pay for me to fly out here. They pay for me to be here. They pay yeah. for all my food. It's it's, it's uh, great. Yeah.
1: But you got to pay your own taxes. <laughs> yes, I do have to pay my own taxes, which I need to do when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so there's probably somebody listening to this uh, interview, and they're thinking to themselves, man, I'm a lot like Greg. I'm, you know, I, I want to do filmmaking. I, I want to do YouTube. I maybe even want to work for a company. What, what kind of words of encouragement can you give somebody who's uh, starting out? Uh, and is there any mistakes that you learned along the way that you'd like to, to share
0: I think my biggest thing is just like, be a good person, like be helpful. If people need help, don't always be like nickeling, diming for everything. If you're on set and they're like, Oh, can you stay an extra hour so we can get these extra shots? Like be there and just help out. Like that goes a long way to show that you're in it for the, like the career and not just the paycheck from that job. And that's, what's going to get you to come back. Like if you're just always nice and set, you're always helpful. You're always attentive and being ready to assist in whatever needs to be assisted and not being like, Oh, well, I mean, if you're on film sets, you might have to stay in your lane a little bit, but yeah. on smaller commercial stuff. And like when you're starting out, just be a hand to help with whatever needs to be helped with. And don't be like, Oh, that's not my job. Somebody else can do that. Like if something needs to happen, help make it happen. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that's kind of helped me build my network and, and get me rehired on jobs and working with the same production companies over and over again. is because I just have a passion for being there and wanting to help out and, work in that team environment and, and make the whole thing come together
1: man that was a great way to close out the show i ho- totally agree with that an incredible uh thing to say be a good person just yeah be humble be uh, be kind it goes a long way definitely thanks a lot greg for being on the golden hour podcast and uh yeah i mean this was awesome ces las vegas let's do it
0: yeah thanks for having me I really hope
1: you guys enjoyed my interview with Greg Farnham. That little nugget that Greg gave us at the end of the interview was fabulous. And it's always a great reminder to stay humble, to work hard and to always exceed expectations when you're on set and when you're working with clients. And even beyond work, applying that to just everyday life with your family and friends is something that just makes you an all around great human being. So thanks again, Greg, for being on the Golden Hour Podcast and for sharing that great insight. If you've listened all the way through this podcast, and you still haven't subscribed to the Golden Hour Podcast, what are you doing? Subscribe to the podcast. We post every single Tuesday. We want you all to be a part of this family. This podcast is brought to you by Polar Pro, and I would encourage you guys to check out some of the new products that we have on polarprofilters.com. The newest addition to our lineup is the amazing Summit and Base Camp system. The Summit system is designed for landscape photographers who need larger filters rather than just screw-on filters. Maybe they're using a super wide lens that doesn't even have... A filter thread built in. And then Basecamp is a traditional matte box, but it's actually built to be very lightweight, super rugged, and something that you can put on any camera, whether it's a red all the way down to a Sony system. If you want to learn more about these products, go check them out at polarprofilters.com. Once again, I'm your host Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast. See you next week.